0: Hello and welcome to Business Lines Pulse podcast that tunes into all things health and pharmaceuticals. I'm Jyoti Datta. No matter where you are in the world today, chances are the conversation is dominated by the newest SARS-CoV-2 variant in town, the Omicron. And not surprisingly, there is an information overload when it comes to understanding where we stand against this new variant. Now to cut through this clutter, we have a, a very renowned public health voice. Dr. Srinath Reddy, who heads the Public Health Foundation of India. Thank you, Dr. Reddy, for being here.
1: A pleasure to be conversing with you. Yeah,
0: thanks. Um, So, uh, doctor, even as we speak, there are more um, cases of Omicron being detected in India. And uh, ever since, you know, it was first reported out of the African region, there has been, you know, so much information coming out on whether it is more transmissible and among other things, if it will Replace the dominant Delta variant that India, unfortunately, knows only too well. So from what is presently known, how does it look like, doctor? Does does it look like the Omicron variant will replace uh, Delta across the world and in India?
1: It is too early to say based on the available numbers, but certainly the virus is spreading very fast. And the fact that it is spreading fast, not only in the under-vaccinated countries of Africa, but also in the quite highly vaccinated countries of Europe, is very suggestive that it has high transmissibility. Secondly, we also know from evolutionary biology that generally viruses, when they find it difficult to get many susceptible humans uh, to infect, they have a trade-off between infectivity and virulence, and they try and increase their infectivity so that they can actually become more sustainable within the human community. So based on both the initial trends of whatever small numbers are available worldwide, as well as the logic of evolutionary biology, it appears that Omicron will probably be more infectious than Delta, whether it will have the staying power to replace Delta needs to be seen, but certainly the transmissibility appears to be higher.
0: Right. So in India, how are we expected to understand this, Doctor? So we saw, uh, you know, a, a, a really uh, a surge with the second wave and uh, we saw that now we are told that with the zero positivity spread, people are, uh, you know, have have a better coverage. There's vaccines coverage. So in India, how are we supposed to be prepared for this? How do we look at uh, what is unfolding across the world?
1: We'll have to differentiate between infectivity and virulence, and then, of course, look at what role the already administered vaccines would have in providing protection. In terms of infectivity, certainly it appears that the virus in its current variant form is capable of infecting many people, including those who might have been previously infected by other forms of the virus, as well as people who are vaccinated. We know that vaccines, which are systemically administered in intramuscular injections, produce systemic immunity which can fight off the virus once it has entered the body. But they do not prevent the entry of the virus into the body. And therefore, if we are counting infections alone of people who may have the virus coming into their respiratory tract, then we are likely to see several cases if the virus continues to spread in India. On the other hand, in terms of seriously infected persons in terms of illness, uh, which requires hospitalization or even result in severe disease and death, it's unlikely that we will see such a huge surge for several reasons. Firstly, the virus itself may have altered its behavior by reducing its virulence, as is being currently reported from Africa as well as from Europe. The illness appears to be mild. So far, no deaths have been reported, and there is no real rush to hospitals. At the same time, we know that prior infection with the virus, especially with the Delta virus, is likely to have conferred a broadband immunity for us, because the natural infection would have exposed exposed us to many of the antigens of the virus. And therefore, even if the variant has developed a lot of spike protein mutations, which can evade the immunity conferred by spike protein focused vaccines like AstraZeneca or by the mRNA vaccines, which, of course, we have not been using in our country, still the broadband immunity conferred by a natural infection is likely to be Fairly protective against this variant, even if infected, it's likely to prevent severe disease and death. About the vaccines that have already been administered, we have had two mainly. One is the AstraZeneca, which is again a spike protein focused vaccine. But even that may confer some degree of protection against this variant, though it may not necessarily have the same level of protection as was offered against the ancestral virus from Wuhan or even against the Alpha variant, because we found that the Delta variant with considerable amount of spike protein mutations had a lowered efficacy or lowered protection from the AstraZeneca. So we can expect some degree of lowered protection, but it has been said that many Indians have acquired hybrid immunity with both the vaccine as well as the natural infection, and therefore the level of protection is fairly high among Indians. As far as the inactivated virus vaccine is concerned, which is Covaxin, which has been used in smaller numbers in India, again, like the natural infection with the whole virus, this inactivated whole virus vaccine is also likely to have conferred broadband immunity so that spike protein mutations may not be able to override that immunity. So all in all, it appears that we are likely to see a fairly large number of infections but unlikely to see very many cases of severe infection or death. Certainly not to the same magnitude as the second wave, which was driven by the delta.
0: Right, that is so. Um, would you say heartening to hear? I suppose um, silver linings that we hold on to. So it is interesting that you said that the uh, you know you spoke about the vaccine's effectiveness. In fact, that's one of the biggest questions on everyone's minds and. Information coming out at the moment is that the vaccine, as you have said, uh, you know, has prevented uh, worsening of one's condition. Um, are the inactivated virus-based vaccines uh, more effective, uh, Doctor? Is that too early to say?
1: Theoretically, yes, uh, but whether actually practically it's going to be borne out is going to be testified by two different types of evidence. One is the laboratory testing of neutralizing antibodies which will be extracted from people who have been previously vaccinated and those antibodies will be used against the virus and the laboratory conditions against the new variant to see whether it can be neutralized. Of course, recognizing that neutralizing antibodies are only a part of the body's immune response. uh, You have the cellular immunity as well, but the first major defense in the bloodstream is the neutralizing antibody. And if a previously vaccinated person with a whole virus inactivated vaccine, like, for example, Covaxin, has neutralizing antibodies, which can neutralize this new variant as well, then that is going to be reassuring. The second line of evidence is going to come from actually the population studies, where we will be seeing... Uh, what is the level of reinfection that is happening in the population or breakthrough infections that is happening in the population. If previously vaccinated people are likely to have fresh infections again, we'll call it a breakthrough infection. And if that is happening, then we'll firstly see whether the vaccine is protecting against infections per se or even if people are getting reinfected, Is it preventing severe infection and death as it is originally intended to do? So I think these are the two types of evidence we'll be looking for. In terms of the laboratory evidence on neutralizing antibodies, it will take about two weeks to three weeks to get that. And possibly in another two weeks, we should be able to get that information from the National Institute of Virology. As far as the breakthrough infections are concerned, we still have to wait for some time because firstly, we'll have to see whether there will be many cases in our population. And secondly, they will also have to undergo genomic testing for us to establish that correlation. So that piece of evidence may emerge from other parts of the world earlier than it does here. Right, right. So when um,
0: when the makers of mRNA vaccines talk of tweaking the vaccine and having a you know, variant-ready vaccine in in, in 100 days and the talk of boosters. For the average person on the street, the question is now, is this going to become now part of our lives in terms of taking a booster and so on? Um, How do you say this should be approached? And what are your thoughts on boosters and, you know, all this conversation about uh, boosters for frontline, older and immune compromised people? I think...
1: Firstly, the mRNA vaccines, we, while there were major scientific breakthroughs and they gave us a great sense of hope because of the very high levels of efficacy that were first reported in the clinical trials of more than 90 percent, close to 95 percent, actually. They were directed mainly against the original ancestral virus, which was then actively in circulation and maybe a little bit against the alpha variant, which had entered the UK by that time. But now against succession of variants, the alpha first and then the delta, we are seeing diminishing levels of efficacy of the mRNA vaccines. We are also finding that the mRNA vaccines are not standing up to long duration of their immune protection. Uh, The Pfizer vaccine actually now says that From the fifth month onwards, the immunity declines and they would like to see a booster dose soon enough after that. The Moderna vaccine has employed a larger, a higher dose of the antigen as compared to Pfizer, 100 micrograms as opposed to 30 micrograms of the Pfizer. They probably have a longer lasting immune response, but even there in about six to eight months, their immunity starts fading and therefore they also want a booster dose. Now, similarly, while the virus vector vaccines are not using the mRNA technology, they are also using a code for the spike protein. There again, in about 8 to 10 months or maybe up to a year, you are finding some declining uh, immunity as well. So, boosters are being asked for because of this spike protein-specific nature of the vaccine, but also because the variants are developing spike protein mutations precisely to evade uh, that particular spike protein-focused immunity. But it is likely that we may see that, firstly, the variant itself may become less and less virulent and therefore less threatening. If it ultimately becomes far less threatening than the Delta virus, then we may not need the boosters at all. Secondly, the vaccines, even if they give confer some degree of protection, then it's possible that we may not have severe disease and death, and therefore we may not need boosters at all for all types of vaccines for all types of people. Maybe immunocompromised people and elderly people may require boosters, uh, particularly if an mRNA vaccine has been used, they may require annual boosters. Uh, But we also do not know whether the inactivated virus vaccine is going to require boosters and with what frequency. So I think uh, the requirement of uh, boosters being in repeated cycles, almost a booster every year, as is being talked of, may not necessarily materialize if we actually nudge the virus to become less and less virulent. Because if it were only infectious, if it in the best-case scenario causes only some body aches and a little bit of cold, uh, then a mild fever for a day or two, then it should not bother us enough to have uh, a, a booster every year. But the other unanswered question is, even if the illness appears to be mild with the variant, does it result in long COVID? Does it have long-lasting effects? We do not know. But in general, if there is a toning down of virulence of the virus as a part of its evolutionary biology uh, progression, then even the long COVID risk is likely to be less. So overall, the most optimistic scenario is that if we build up barriers for viral transmission through masks, through physical distancing, not crowding, and through vaccines that we deploy, and we nudge the virus to become... Uh, possibly far less virulent than the Delta, even if it is more transmissible than Delta, then in a couple of years, if not earlier, we should be able to see that we can coexist without necessarily having to take vaccines every year.
0: Right, right. How do you uh, uh, explain these reports that you know talk of children, uh, you know, being reported or detected uh, with this variant?
1: Well, firstly, we must understand that many of the adults have already been infected or vaccinated. Right. And therefore, they may not necessarily, even if they're infected, they may not be having a clinical illness of a severity to uh, report themselves. Therefore, proportionately, children who are previously protected, who were naive to the earlier forms of the virus, may be getting exposed and getting infected. That's possible. So it may, it's just a question of differential proportion. If the number of adults in the denominator of susceptible people decreases, then proportionately the number of children will increase and that will also be reflected in the numerator of the people diagnosed have the infection. The second is children in general have lesser number of ACE2 receptors on their cells. It is to the ACE2 receptor that the spike protein attaches itself. And compared to adults, children have far less number of the ACE2 receptors. And as people age into adolescence and adulthood, the number of receptors increase. Now, this particular virus has developed many more spike protein mutations and is capable of attaching itself to human cells much more. Therefore, even with the lesser number of spike protein uh, I mean, lesser number of ACE2 receptors that children have if this virus is capable of clinging on to those receptors and attaching itself much more firmly, then children are likely to get more infected or experience more symptoms than they have in the past uh, with the other forms of the virus. So these are all explanations that we can provide, both in terms of uh, the statistical numbers and also in terms of the biological mechanisms of uh, infection and uh, clinical illness, but the important point is even if children are reporting more symptoms and are being diagnosed in larger numbers, they uh, too are not reporting any severe illness of the nature that should really alarm us uh, in terms of hospitalization or death. So I think uh, we should not get terribly perturbed by the fact that more children are being reported as cases.
0: Right, right. So on the diagnostic side, um, does the RT-PCR work um, or or help in identifying a suspected Omicron case, which can then be, you know, taken for genome sequencing? That's one. And second, on the treatment side, you know, we are hearing of monoclonal antibodies and antivirals and all of that. So how are these uh, therapies going to stack up against the virus?
1: Well, uh, the important thing as far as diagnostic tests is that uh, most of the tests that are employed, particularly the RT-PCR, are not solely dependent upon uh, the spike protein. Therefore, they do recognize the virus and they are still effective in diagnosing uh, the actual um, variant. So it should not be much of a problem. Uh, The issue related to the monoclonal antibodies is a little more complex. Monoclonal antibodies are developed against a particular type of uh, antigen. Now, if they have been mainly developed against the spike protein, then there will be chances that these monoclonal antibodies will not succeed very well. We have seen that some of the monoclonal antibodies in the past or even the polyclonal antibodies, which were mixtures of antibodies, had reduced efficacy against the delta because they were originally produced for the ancestral virus or for the alpha. But we can modify the monoclonal antibodies and produce antibodies specifically for this variant. So it should not be difficult to produce a new generation of monoclonal antibodies.
0: Right. And what about antiviral pills, uh, doctor? Because they're still in the process of getting... Um... Um, approvals, I think Molnupiravir has just been recommended by the US FDA. So um, what would you say on the effectiveness of antiviral pills?
1: Well, the antiviral pills are actually acting in different ways. They are preventing the viral replication. They are not actually acting only against the spike protein. They are acting against the genetic material of the virus and preventing viral replication or making it replicate so fast in a distorted manner that it actually cannot propagate itself. So in a sense, the mechanism of their action is not defeated by spike protein mutations. So antiviral pills would continue to be active, as would other medicines that have already been tried out in clinical trials for reducing the impact of the illness like steroids, for example. So I believe that as far as the treatment modalities that are already certified through clinical trials, they will continue to be used with efficacy, even like the variant.
0: Right. So that doesn't change, that's good to me. Yeah, um, on the, you know, timeline of the variant, now we are hearing that this has been around possibly from early November. So um, how does one, you know, do you think that countries will now uh, need to do wastewater surveillance to understand this? Does it make a difference in the way, in uh, in knowing this, does it really make any difference in terms of understanding uh, the variant or how it should be treated? Why is that important to know the timeline?
1: Wastewater surveillance is important because particularly it may be actually predicting the spread or even may actually give us early signals that a particular neighborhood or a locality may actually be now uh, susceptible to a major uh, outbreak and uh, we may anticipate many more cases there. It also indicates how fast the infection is spreading and how far the infection is spreading. Like for example, while In South Africa, it was in the Gauteng province that it was mainly being uh, declared that uh, this was a huge problem in terms of clinical cases. In Pretoria, uh, wastewater surveillance showed a huge viral load, which again suggested a fairly high uh, spread of the infection. So we can actually, by doing wastewater surveillance, identify which are the localities which are likely to be now um, bracing themselves for an outbreak. But that actually will not change uh, some of the public health messages in which, uh, through which we are trying to prevent people from getting infected in the first place, wearing masks, for example, physical distancing, moving in ventilated areas that everybody in the country must adopt because you do not know which asymptomatic carrier of this particular virus has entered their locality. And we are not going to be really restricting travel within the country. And I believe even restricting travel into the country is illogical. And uh, therefore, it's important that everybody protect themselves, even as we are increasing our surveillance, whether through increased border checks, whether we are doing increased uh, uh, testing for people with suspected symptoms and their contacts, or we also do wastewater surveillance.
0: Right. That's fascinating. So uh, to my final question, doctor. So when I talk to virologists, what they say is that, you know, with every variant, the virus is running out of its bag of tricks. So I'm just asking you, is is, is the virus running out of its bag of tricks? And looking ahead, we are, we're at December now and two years down into the pandemic. Looking ahead, what message would you sort of, uh, you know, leave your audience with?
1: Well, I don't think the virus is running out of its bag of tricks. It is following an evolutionary biology logic. That logic is that if it becomes difficult for me to infect many more people who are susceptible, I will increase my infectivity and reduce my virulence because I cannot afford to kill the few people who I infect because then I sign my own death certificate of my own species. Right. Therefore, It is behaving intelligently according to evolutionary biology. It is we humans, we have not been following that logic. We have not created a difficult passage for that virus to uh, transmit. Every time we find a decline in the number of cases, we behave with uh, such exuberant uh, relief uh, and uh, run around in huge crowds without masks and uh, celebrate. The virus actually uh, travels with people and celebrates with crowds. If we create a difficult path for it, follow, it will follow the logic of evolutionary biology and progressively reduce its virulence even as it increases its infectivity. So we should try and do that and nudge the virus to become less virulent. And the moment we start prematurely celebrating, then we are opening up the road for the virus and there is no uh, stimulus Uh, for the virus uh, to change its behavior. So I believe the virus, whether it's running out of its bag of tricks or not, is difficult to say. It is going through multiple mutations. But it is on the pathway, I believe, to become less virulent, but retain a high level of infectivity. And we should certainly encourage it to do so by our own behavior.
0: Right. And what is the message you would, uh, you know, sort of leave people with when they're looking ahead at 2022?
1: I believe that we should be looking at 2022 with a greater sense of confidence, but with a considerable amount of caution in our behavior. Caution not in terms of fearful uh, retreat from our uh, daily life, Uh, we should actually now begin to open up our society, get our schools and colleges functioning, and of course our economy moving. But that also calls for a certain amount of discipline on our part of wearing masks and wearing masks properly in all areas outside, trying to move as much as possible in ventilated areas, and of course practice hand hygiene, and avoid super spreader events to the maximum extent possible, and get vaccinated Certainly, vaccines will offer some level of protection, even if the virus is trying to evade that uh, vaccine induced protection. Some level of protection will definitely be there. But, but while moving around with greater confidence, also hold on to your patience. Don't get impatient and then start saying that, oh, no, I, I, I'm not going to wear any masks. I'm not going to do anything uh, that restricts my active lifestyle and therefore mm-hmm. I'll move around the way I please. Uh, that time will come, but the time will come when we are fairly confident that the virus has markedly reduced its virulence, even if it is still moving amongst us, even if it is still infectious. The best thing that can happen is that it will become like a common cold virus. Whether it will take one year or five years, we cannot say, but we can certainly move it in that direction And in the meanwhile, we need not stay stay petrified with fear. But at the same time, we should not act unmindful of the fact that the virus is still there. And it is our duty to help it move to a less virulent stage.
0: Absolutely. Very important. words Thank you so much for your time, uh, Doctor, from the Business Line team and myself. Thank you so much for that. Really insightful. Most welcome. Bye. Yeah, thank you.